hot intro, man. There's no better way of bringing you in than your Instagram <laughs> name, which happens to be Turn Dan for what. So, welcome back to the Pause That Podcast. Uh, we have Dan Ryder from Newmark here. Um, follow him on Instagram at Turn Dan for what with little underscores. Underscores. I forgot that word. Turn underscore Dan underscore four <laughs> underscore what. So we were at a bar back in like 2014 when we were trying to think of uh, Instagram names. I came up with the mortgage quarterback, and we were stumped for what Dan was. The song came on. I said, turn Dan for what? Yeah. And six years later, we still have the Instagram name. Oh, my God, man. People love that Instagram name, too, and they still get it. I had a buddy of mine, um, Matto, was texting me a couple months ago. He's like, dude, I think it's time to retire Dan. Turn Dan for what? I said, no, man, it's staying. The people love it. And I, you know, when we were doing the promo for this and I was looking, I was like, should I change it to just Dan Ryder? And I was like, nah, turn Dan for what stays. We'll let all the professional people look at it and get a laugh out of it. So so the biggest topic right now going on in the world is work from home, office space, our company's closing, our company's opening. Let's just jump right into it. What trends have you seen since March of 2020 to now? Yeah, you know, it's been a real whirlwind and, it, and it's interesting. So I, I deal on the occupier side of real estate very often. So I do office leasing, I do medical, retail, industrial, and the office world's been in, in total flux. Like the retail world, everything's been flipped upside its head. So um, I think we're starting to see a little bit of, uh, of stability finally. I think for the first six months, everyone was like, what's going on? And it's like everyone else in their real life is just what's going on in the world. So initially, the first thought was, hey, maybe we're going to see an influx into New Jersey of companies out of New York that don't want to go into the city. What's going on with Manhattan? I think Did we you, see that? You know, it's interesting. I got a million phone calls between March and July, let's say, from companies looking into New Jersey. Not many have pulled the trigger. So we've seen a couple come out, a couple financial services firms that the executives live in Somerset County, Bergen County. They need 10,000 feet for their critical employees. It's almost like disaster recovery space more than anything. And they don't want to go into the city every day. So they're coming out, but they're not doing long-term leases. They're doing a year, two, at most three years as just sort of a stopgap in between COVID until they get a little more clarity. I mean, the, the biggest issue that we've seen is just a lack of clarity into the future for a lot of these companies and for their office space. Hey, are we going to work the same way we have been working? And I think people are asking themselves their, these questions. And they're coming up with different answers. Every, every company looks at it differently. They work differently. But everyone's trying to figure it out and, and figure out, you know, what are we doing for the next five or 10 years? What are we doing for the next six months is, is still a question out there. So obviously, when you're in real estate, nine out of 10 times, you have a fiduciary responsibility. If you have office space that's vacant, your fiduciary responsibilities to the landlord. And then in some cases, you have a fiduciary responsibility to help a company grow or find locations. And now you're representing the tenant, right? Mm-hmm. What do you do right now? What do you tell? Obviously, I know knowing you, you want everyone to get a fair deal. But okay, you have a landlord that has, let's say, a dollar he wants. You have a tenant that's saying, "I'm not paying a dollar." In your perfect world, how do you bridge that gap to make a deal fair for everyone in this unknown market? Yeah, and that's a really good question. And I think the reality is, market is what a seller is willing to accept and what a buyer is willing to accept, right? So maybe the market it was a dollar, maybe now it's ninety-five cents, maybe now it's a dollar five for for whatever it is. So it's really bridging the gap and, and understanding everyone's pain points. So for a lot of these landlords, as an example, one thing we're seeing is rents aren't dropping dramatically. They just they can't because of the the financing that a lot of these landlords have on their buildings, right? The landlord owns the building, but it's really the bank that owns the building. They've got the debt. 
and they can't go to the lender and say, hey, look, you know, I know we were leasing building the, the building at 25 bucks a square foot. The market's now 15, so the building's going to be worth less, and you know, it's all now your I capital. Owe you money. Exactly. The lender's going to say no. So from the landlord perspective, depending on their capital stack on the building, they're looking at it and saying, okay, I can't go get this deal by dropping my rent by five bucks a foot, but what I can do is I can give you a six month more free rent, or I can give you 20 bucks a square foot more in ten tenant improvement allowance. That's the allowance you get to renovate your space, right? So what I'm seeing is a, a modest decrease in the rent to whatever a landlord can reasonably do to keep their building with the lender happy. And they're getting more and more aggressive on the TI and the free rent. And I, I have deals out right now where if you asked me 18 months ago, hey, you're going to get 95 bucks a foot in tenant improvement allowance. I would say, you're crazy. That's, that's, you're getting 50 at it most. It never happened. Exactly. So landlords are reaching where they can. And you're really seeing what landlords can be more aggressive and one can. I mean, there's a different type of landlord in New Jersey where there's some institutional, there are also some family businesses that necessarily don't have debt on their building. So those family-owned groups can go out and be more aggressive on their rent because they don't have a lender to worry about. So it's, it's approaching every single situation, understanding the players that are, that are there. From the tenant perspective, you, know, you want to go out and make sure you're getting the best deal for yourself. At the end of the day, the real estate follows what you're going to do in it. You need the space. If you're growing and you need space, the most important thing isn't to get a buck a foot off on the rent. Obviously, you want to get the best deal you can. It's to get in there at the right price and to get in there at the right capital outlay. So maybe it makes more sense for you to get more tenant improvement allowance, more free rent, and get the space that works best for your employees to do the best. We spoke earlier off offline about you know the co-working spaces, for example, mm -hmm. and you know you had said you spoke to people that said that they're busier than ever and they're getting more secure long-term commitments from tenants ever. Is that because there's a shift to people leaving the five ten thousand dollar a month rent and downsizing just to have? space in general or what are you seeing in that regard or is it entrepreneurs that are doing startups that are wanting to have an address what are you seeing in that yeah you know it's interesting and and i think that the whole we work debacle and how public that was really colored people's perception of co-working as oh this doesn't work this doesn't make sense it's you know it's all going to hell and i think that it's not the reality of it i think that as our economy sort of shifts to more of a freelance economy there's more entrepreneurship and smaller business that want space the co-working spaces can make a lot of sense for certain folks. I think the influx and the longer commitments they're seeing are less from these startups, and it's more from these larger companies that aren't making their employees go back to work because of COVID. They can't do that. They can't push them. But they have employees that want to go somewhere. They don't want to sit home. They don't want to be in the house with their distractions and their kids. I mean, I've been working from home. I've gone back to the office for a few months now. I can tell you, I always find something to do in my apartment that is just a little thing that I don't need to do. I don't need to wash another load of laundry right now or wash a dish. And I think a lot of these employees at bigger companies are going to their executive and saying, hey, I need to get out. I need to do something. If you can't open the office, can I have a stipend for $2,000 a month, whatever it is, to go to the Regis or go to the WeWork or whatever it was um, in, their, in their town and have an office to sit out of. And they're getting longer commitments. Now, by longer commitments, a typical lease is five, 10 years. For these co-working, their typical commitments pre-COVID were three to six months. Now they're a year to two years, which is great for them. They get a little more stable cash flow, and they don't have to worry about the churn as much, which has been interesting to see. Now, we spoke earlier, again, about 
taking a certain asset class and revamping it or knocking it down and building something brand new, like an asset reallocation, changing the use of you know what real estate currently is. How soon do you think we start to see that? So at what point does a hotel become a halfway house? Or at what point does you know a retail center become a mixed-use ground-up development project? What are you starting to see and what time frame do you put on that? Yeah, you know, it's a really interesting to look across the asset classes of commercial real estate. Let's just pick New Jersey for an example. You know, the office market right now, there's very little velocity. So if you're an office tenant in the market, um, people want you. They want you bad. It's interesting. And, and you look at retail and industrial. Retail has got a decent amount of velocity because a lot of these retailers have gone out of business. But there are new groups that are in expansion mode that can take their space and there's some backfill. And then when you look at industrial, industrial never slowed down. Ever. It got, it, it, not at all. It was already hot in New Jersey. And it just it went even hotter because of the shift to e-commerce. I mean, the shift was happening for a lot of these companies to go to e-commerce and to really build out their distribution network. It's only been sped up and pushed up. You know, if this, we're, we probably push things up by five or 10 years. I mean, it's, it's sort of incredible. You see that type of speed. Yeah, for, for just, and I think it's the way these companies are running their business. And right now, if you want 400,000 square feet of warehouse space in New Jersey, it's, it's not easy to find. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's really being driven by e-commerce, the Amazons, the, 3P, the 3PLs of the world that are just expanding that the real estate, I don't want to say it, it doesn't matter, but it's, it's not a core value in their business. It's not a big line item for them where their businesses, they're making their margins on their sales of their product. So um, when you look at, okay, how does, that, how, do, how does that matter and what gets reused? As a quick example, this is a couple years ago. It's not even from COVID. I worked with an owner who owned a building, office building, a nice office building in Lyndhurst. We were 30% occupied. We're in a mostly industrial market. And we decided we're going to knock this building down and build an industrial building. The building's 200,000 square feet. I can build a 100,000 square foot industrial building, but I'm going to get higher rents. I'm going to get better credit tenants. And it was interesting to see this happen. This is three years ago where I worked with the owner. I approached every tenant and negotiated a buyout for them to leave. It was, you know, really ahead What's of the curve. Was it up two to three times at least by now, value-wise? Oh, oh, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, the, the, they bought it as an office building six years ago, spent a few million. They made a few million on this. I mean, they, they easily doubled their money. And it, they were ahead of the curve, understanding that the industrial market's getting hot. And it's getting even hotter. Sure. You know, it's crazy to look at it on, on a value basis. You're getting more money for some warehouse buildings than you are for office buildings, which is just crazy to think about. So a lot of that comes into zoning and the value and the access to the major major highways. So when you look at, okay, well, what does that mean for reuse? I mean, we've worked with folks who are looking for office buildings that are, you know, dilapidated, that need a lot of work. And instead of getting them and releasing them as office, knocking them down, putting up multifamily. That's been something we're seeing a lot. There's a retail center on Route 17 in uh, Rutherford. Route 17, I mean, that's a tough area. For Route 17, Route 4, vacant. Everything's for lease. <laughs> it's a lot of retail. So, I think the road's for lease, too. Yeah. <laughs> there was a, uh, a big retail center that... They couldn't find a big anchor for it. And what I saw they're shifting their marketing to is last mile distribution space and shifting that because the retail, the retail building itself had high ceilings. It had a lot of characteristics of an industrial warehouse. And they thought, well, well, we have more likelihood to find a warehouse user for this otherwise. So they've done fairly well. I think they have a couple deals on that space. And it's folks getting creative to find out where the demand is. The demand right now is not an office. And it's, it, the reality is it's just because of the level of uncertainty. I can tell you I'm working with a few different clients who are growing their office footprint. I mean, everyone's a little bit different, mm-hmm. but as a, as a general statement for the market, there's just not a lot of velocity right now. Now, six months from now, when folks when this vaccine's been outrolled and folks feel comfortable going back to the office, I think we're going to see some pent-up demand. And I think the deals that my clients are getting right now, 
they're going to look at in six or nine months and say, oh, my God, this is a miracle. So it, it's just a matter of timing, unfortunately, or, or fortunately, of the market and what makes sense for everybody. So you were nominated for the best hair <laughs> for a guest of the pod. That, so ladies, I'm sorry. Dan does have better hair than you. Um, it wasn't my call. I didn't make that call. But you obviously don't know what you know about real estate from reading it in a book, right? And no one just gave you everything. To my knowledge, you actually dropped out of college, never graduated college, and started in real estate at an early age. Why don't you walk us through that journey of how you've gotten here today, seven years later, eight years later, and really like explain the process, you know, the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, the ins and outs. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to, and uh, I appreciate the kind words of my hair. You know, was wasn't getting, me. Yeah, wasn't I, was, me. I, did, I was getting ready this morning. <laughs> I was like, I should get a haircut before this podcast. You know, it's going to go on YouTube. Uh, no, so, yeah, you know, I, I took a really interesting and unique path to to work at where I am today. And, you know, I'll preface this all by saying, you know, I didn't have some big plan. This has been one iteration after the other, and it's just I've, I've met the right people at the right time. And Things have gone, you know, I've, I've been so fortunate. So I actually took night classes my senior year of high school. And I got my real estate license the same week I graduated high school. And I started working at a residential office that I, I literally grew up next to. So I was on my way home from high school one day. I stopped into this Century 21 office and I asked the, the guy at the front desk, like, hey, I'm, how do I get my license? I'm curious. You know, I live next door. I'm just thinking about it. Happened to be the broker of record, who's the guy who runs the office, Bob. And uh, Bob takes me to the conference room. We talk. He's the nicest guy in the world. And He's, you know, tells me where to go and says, hey, if, if you end up following through on this, like, let me know and maybe we'll have a spot for you here. And I walked out of that. and was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I didn't realize that being a real estate agent, you don't get a salary. They have a spot for everyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so at the time, I was like, this is amazing. So I go, I take the night classes. I go back to Bob and he's, you know, more than happy to, to take me in, take me under his wing a bit. And, um, you know, it was really exciting. I was I went. To, so from there, I went to community college for a semester. I did that. And about after my first semester, I got approached by a guy in our office. I was doing residential, which at 18, look, residential real estate's a tough business to be in. At 18, where everyone's looking at you like they're Even kid. tougher, yeah. And I'm yeah, trying yeah, to tell them, hey, yeah. give me the biggest You're asset. You're basements out from parents to their kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, give me the biggest asset of your yeah. life, and I'm an 18-year-old. Hold on, my mom's calling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I need my mom to drop <laughs> yeah, me off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I was getting a little frustrated with how to develop business, and I was getting burnt out, and I'm going to school. So I, I really felt like I had one foot in each path and I needed to commit to one. And there was a guy in my office named Tim DeLucia, who's been one of my prime mentors in my life. And, um, you know, thank God for him. He's been huge for me. He does commercial real estate and he was working out of a residential office, just doing commercial and just focusing on that. And he approached me. He's like, look, I need some help. I've got 60 listings on my own. I'll teach everything, but I need you to take a semester off of school and, and focus on this with me. Like, can you give me full time, nine to five? Commercial real estate's way different than residential. It's, it's not nights and weekends. It's, you know, nine to five, but really seven to seven, I'd realize. And I said, all right, I'll give it a semester. And then worst case scenario, I'll go back to school. I'm going to transfer to Rutgers if this doesn't work out. And, you know, I'll, I'll get, become a stockbroker one day. Like, that was the whole plan at the time. And one semester turned into, you know, six months turned into a year with Tim. I ended up doing 20 deals my first year which they were small deals. I ended up making like $50,000. I'm like, this is amazing. I'm yeah, 19 years yeah. old. I'm making the type of money that my parents made. Right. And it's, it's, it's crazy. So that snowballed into another, you know, I, I ended up getting recruited by a bigger firm, Newmark, which I've been at now for eight years. I mean, when they made me the offer to join them, I was 20. And I remember we met up at a bar with the guys who ended up hiring me. And uh, I had to order a soda. Even drink. Yeah, yeah, I had to order a soda. Yeah. And it was, it was so funny to do that. So it, I ended up getting brought onto a big team there. I worked on that team for five years. And then for the past 
two and a half years, I've, I've had a partner uh, and we've built our own team and our own brand. And it's, it's, it's been really exciting. And again, like I, it, it wasn't some big plan where I was like, oh, I'm going to be this corporate real estate advisor. It was, it was really just getting in every day, committing myself to it and learning it. And, and I think that that's really been invaluable for me for just to go out and do the business and learn as I've done it the whole time. How important has like structure and focus been for you as a person during the transitions, right? Of it's easy when someone tells you show up here, do X, Y, and Z, leave at five or seven o'clock, right? But then when you have your own team or you start doing deals, people kind of forget about you, stop holding you accountable because you're doing business. Yep. Whether you're doing business or a lot of business, obviously it's up for you to decide. <laughs> But if you're bringing in money, usually people kind of like let the rope, you know, grow longer. Yeah. So for you, how were you able to, you know, structure your days and time and work week and also stay focused? Yeah, that's a really good question. And the structure is so important. And at the end of the day, I think it really comes down to the culture of, you know, that you're building within yourself, but also with your team. Right. I mean, when I worked with Tim DeLucia, it, I never took my foot off the gas pedal because that's not the way Tim is. And, and that's just how that was instilled in me when I was 19 and I was working with them going to meetings. And it's, it's how I, we run our team now where, you know, I'm sending out emails at 630 in the morning when I know my clients are still getting out of bed or they're reading the morning, you know, they're reading the paper in the morning. Um, and I'm sending out emails at 1030 at night if I have to. So it, it's all about the culture, I think, that we're building. And the structure is so important. Now, look, at the end of the day, as long as you're producing and you're doing what you need to do, like I, I don't hold my, my members accountable and say, hey, look, you need to be in the office at 730. That's not the type of culture that I want to breed. I want you to be working. I want you to produce. And if you're not, then we're going to have a discussion about it. But at the end of the day, I think it's really given freedom to our team members to say, hey, look, you do what you need to do to be successful and we're all going to be fine. And and for me personally, the structure has been really important. Just eating healthy, working out every morning, meditating, reading a book every morning. And look, I've fallen off the wagon at times. And I can tell you, you know, I'll, I'll meditate for 75 days straight. I think it was my one of my streaks. And then, you know, a week will go off. I'm going to eat pizza during the week instead of eating, you know, the salad I should have. Sure. And, and it throws you off, but then you just get back on it. And it, it you know, it's, it's amazing. I, I meditate every morning and this morning I was journaling and I was looking at it. It's like, oh, I feel incredible. Like I got to make sure I keep this up. And it's, it, I'm telling you, it's the 50th time that I've said that to myself. And it's just, again, coming back to the structure and, and being able to build and, and keep things going. So how has COVID negatively impacted you, right? You can look at, I don't care what anybody says, everyone's been negatively impacted somewhere or another and obviously turned into a positive, but like for you in particular, like, you know, I know you like going to the gym, playing basketball. Like, what are you doing now that you have to do opposed to what you wanted to do in the past? Yeah, that, that's that's a really good question. And it, and it's tough because it. I think the biggest impact is stuff that you can't quite see. It's just sort of your mental well-being. It's like not being in the office with my teammates, which we went back a few months ago, but it's still not the same. That's not the same energy that's Camaraderie's there. Camaraderie's not there. Yeah, it's just not there. And I, I thrive off of that, right? And there's only so much energy you really get from a Zoom with my team. And, tough, you know, you do what tough. you can. You know, we went over my my partner's business plan with them last night. And it's just, I would have rather been in person. It just, it feels better. So I think a lot of it's just the mental aspect of being around people. And it, I think it's made a lot of people, I know it made me really appreciate the social aspect of what we do. And um, I think that's been really the biggest challenge for me is just kind of feeling isolated. And, you know, I've been lucky um, that I've, I've maintained connections, but I'm talking to folks that I was talking to every other week just because we were in the same office. I haven't talked to them in six months. And it's it's being mindful of that. And that's one of the things in my business plan for the year is being mindful of like just calling people to say hi, which I feel like I didn't do enough yeah, before. Yeah. And now because and it was just easy. Of yeah, of course. We run into somebody in the street. You know, I think again, like myself, like like doing this, like I didn't realize how much like, I always loved it, obviously. You know, if you watch podcasts, you see I like it. I'm into it. I'm bought in. I'm passionate about it. But yeah. you don't realize like the whole thing from like 
going to New York City, let alone riding with somebody, yeah. let alone seeing somebody you haven't seen and then being able to discuss in an open environment. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, were getting away from the interpersonal relationships, right? Everyone went more of like a social media click button. Oh, I DM this person. I shot yeah. this person a Facebook message. Like they didn't value, you know, I call it FaceTime, like real FaceTime yep. because they were given it. Now that that's been taken away or removed from a massive level, I think people have to start getting back to that. Obviously, safely, you know, you know, wear your mask and all that stuff, like whatever it is, what it is. Mm-hmm. But you need to get back to that because, like, all right, if you're stuck in a rut, the only thing that's going to pull you out of that rut, most likely, is someone else, right? Yeah. You have to pull yourself out of it. But if you're around somebody with high energy, high intensity, good passion, good drive, you're going to be like, damn, I felt good about this. Let me do it again yeah. and again. So, like, to, you know, reiterate, like, how important it is right now, like, to have an interpersonal and face meeting. Mm-hmm. I know like that's gotten me through some really tough times because it's like really like a breath of fresh air. Like, Oh, oh I didn't huge. realize how much I like spend time with this person. Yeah. Cause you haven't spent time with them. Yeah. And it's sometimes it's just the mental aspect of getting out of your apartment or getting out of your house. Sure. Right. I mean, I went back, we, I think we went back to the office in August and it was really because we had hired somebody to work on our team in February, John. And I felt like I wasn't being enough of a mentor for him. I wasn't around as accessible as I'd be in an office where we can really dive into things, teach him, have him do work. And I can tell you the days that we go into the office and we work together are just better days for me. And I think part of that is that I'm just getting out of my apartment. You know, getting out of your own way. Yeah, which is huge. It's, it's amazing how that's impacted me. Yeah, look, it's easy, right? Like you have a call, you get off the call, and then you sit down. All of a sudden, your favorite show comes on, or you think you're going <laughs> to scroll for like two minutes. Next thing you know, you're on season seven, episode one of Power. And it's like, wait, I just sat down to What like, just happened here? Yeah, I sat down to have a sip of coffee, and now I'm like, you know, seven hours in, and oh, shit, I just ignored three phone calls. Yeah. You know, but that it's so easy going down that rabbit hole, yeah. right? And like, once you go down that, it's very hard to pull yourself back up. And I mean, I think like, look, there's a lot of people that I know personally that are absolutely struggling with COVID. Like, I know business owners that own restaurants can't open. Mm-hmm. I know people that own bars can't open or limited capacity. Even if they do open, they're losing money, right? Yep. I know people that are not in good positions right now, and it's unfortunate, right? But, you know, at some point, you know, so for like me personally, you know, I thought COVID was going to last like a month, right? And, you know, me like, 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 I know COVID exists, unfortunately. You know, I know people that have passed away from it, right? Mm-hmm. And it's as sad and terrible as it gets. I wouldn't wish that anybody, I don't want anybody to experience any more hurt or pain than they're already experiencing, right? Life's hard enough without COVID um, if you make it hard enough, right? Yeah. And I was like, oh, it'll be done in 30 days. And then I'm like, oh, it'll be done by June, you know? And then, you know, August comes around. It's like, all right, you know, football season kicks off. You know, it'll be done by football season because the NFL is playing. And now we're sitting here literally nine months later and I don't see COVID getting better. Yeah. You know, more people are dying. More people are getting, you know, obviously tested positive. And, you know, people right now need an inspiration, you know. Yeah. And if you're able to get out of that rabbit hole because it's so easy to get sucked into it, you latch on to somebody or something with like a bigger purpose, you know. So if like myself, like I literally have every dollar I have invested in a real estate tech company. Like I was like, I can't sit here and do nothing. I can't do what I'm normally going to do. So let me challenge myself to build something yeah. out over this time frame. Yeah. And every day, like even if I had a shitty day or like a deal died, I'd be like, I still have this baby I'm building on top of raising my yeah. two and a half year old <laughs> yeah, son. Yeah, literal you baby. Know? Yeah. But like that's what people have to do. You have to focus on something that's going to last like a year out. Yeah. Or like six months out, not something that's like, yeah, you know, I'm going for a run today. Then you do the same thing tomorrow. Yeah. And it's just not working. And, and look, I think people get hit by this and it's, it really depends. How do you react to it, right? Do you look at it and say, okay, I'm going to just bide my time. And when this is all over, things go back to normal. Or do you try to find something to do in this meantime, right? So 
I can tell you the first week, I remember the last dinner I went out, it was for my partner Harrison's birthday. Um, you know, we to went be clear, out. It's just, not his life partner, Harrison. Yeah, yeah he business has partner. A life partner. <laughs> yeah, Sarah. Yeah. yeah, shout so, out to Sarah. Yeah, God business bless. partner, Harrison. So, um, you know, we go out to dinner, and I remember the, when COVID first started, it was our, our last time together. And, uh, you know, two weeks later, we're sort of sitting there, our head spinning because everything's locked down. Nobody knows what's going on. Everyone's scared to go, everyone's afraid to go outside. Nobody knows what they're doing, right? And we were sitting there and we thought, okay, well, we can either be proactive about this or we can sit and bide our time and hope that people start leasing office space. And we decided to get proactive, right? So what did we do? We started looking at debt on buildings. So what's going to happen is if the market doesn't shift and come back, I know it is. I'm excited. I'm fired up to see what you have to say. You know, these buildings are going to go back at some point if the tenants cannot pay their rent, right? So what do we do? How do we work with these lenders and how do we get in the middle of deals and start facilitating deals on the debt side of things? So fortunately, we've got this guy in our office, Steve Schultz, who is a, a guru with loan sales. And we worked really closely with Steve and his team to identify what buildings are in, in New Jersey are at risk. What ones are we watching so that we can go to the lender and say, hey, you know, this retail company is in your building and this is their headquarters and that's great. Retail's not doing so hot right now. You know, this is an apparel company that's going to really struggle. You should probably look at selling this debt, right, while it's still performing. So we decided to get reactive, that, proactive that way rather than just sitting around doing nothing. And, you know, we've, we've been wildly fortunate. You ask how this has affected us. You know, like every real estate broker in the world, you know, we lost business because of this, right? I'm blown away and we just were doing our year-end numbers. You know, we're actually up year over year in terms of deals booked um, and in gross income for the entire team. So we're super lucky and fortunate that we didn't just sit around and, Wait. hope the things that come yep. up right yep. we went out there and you know we weren't uh, tim delucia used to use the phrase you know we're not waiting for the ship to come in we're out there swimming towards it can't wait for the phone to ring yeah exactly so I, I think that's the way you have to be in in these times and look at the end of the day this is when you can really get the most strides in growing your business while the rest of the world's asleep on reality so of it overhead right well, actually you know, before we get into overhead remind me of that mm-hmm. debt the debt restructuring right so the initial feedback that I've had from banks, so obviously when COVID happened, the first thing I did was call every banker I know. Be like, look, you got any shit for us to like yeah. move? You know, like, you know, what, what do you got? Like, yeah, is there anything not performing? Like, what are you looking to get rid of, unload? And basically everyone had said, we're not going to do anything for 90 days, right? That's pretty yeah. much what it was. And then PPP really took full force, right? So that kind of bought people time. People got bailed out. They did deferment. So like they were able to maneuver creatively and avoid reality, as I call it, right? Yeah. And it is what it is. People avoided, you know, pain. They avoided reality. They got, you know, big checks from the government. Tenants were given, you know, three months not paying rent if you were given a, you know, three month forbearance. So kind of mm-hmm. everyone kind of said, "We'll talk in three months." Yep. Now, as we spoke about earlier, you know, that tenant that got the PPP, that tenant that you know was given the forbearance, whatever the case was, is now saying, "Shit, we ran out of money." Now the bank's like, "Well, well, we can't give you any more forbearances, yeah. right? We can give you some more PPP, but..." What's that going to do? What are we going to do here? And, oh, wait, by the, by the way, the tenant's not renewing their lease. Mm-hmm. So now you have, we spoke about the DSCR, debt service coverage ratio, where banks, believe it or not, and I don't know how this happened, I get it, but like it, they did it where it's almost stupid. They raised their requirements. So let's just say before you had to cover 1.2%, mm-hmm. and we'll get into the whole how that works. Now they're like, oh, we want a minimum 1.25 or 1.3%. And my argument is, okay, that's fine, but all you're making this do is allow the current debt not to be refinanced, exactly. right? So a perfect example, I have a client that has, a, and it's, it's residential, but it's still conceptual. 
I have a client that has debt of quote 1.2 million on a five unit building, mm-hmm. right? Obviously rents are down. The building's in New York City, okay? So his 19 tax returns, give an example, showed $12,000 a month in rental income, mm-hmm. right? Well, people came to him and were like, look, our leases are, you know, we're either moving out, finding and moving somewhere else. So we can get an apartment, you know, anywhere we want right now at a discounted rate. We don't want to move. We don't pay new broker fees, about yada, yada, yada. So he's like, look, okay, here's my new rent. My new rent's 10700 I'm giving everybody a break. I'm giving them a discount. I'm still cash flowing. But he just reduced his rent. Let's just call it 10%. Yeah. So what was the deal that was able to be refinanced at 12000 a month? Now his $1.2 million, he can only refinance $1.08 million. And he's like, well, I'm not giving you 120. I'm current on my mortgage. Yeah, I don't exactly. understand. Like, I don't, I don't understand here. Like, I did the, like, it was either now I have vacancy and I don't pay the mortgage, or I give these people a break. We get through the next year, whatever, 18 months, see mm-hmm. what happens. And banks are like, no, can't do anything for you. So, again, at what point does that person say, okay, well, I'm not paying the mortgage. I need the money to survive. Or now all of a sudden it's adjustable rate mortgage. That rate adjusts. Mm-hmm. And the bank says, we're not extending your loan. You have to pay us back in full. Your money's due. And by the way, you're paying 7% or yeah. 8%. Yeah. And by the way, that guy's just going to hear the keys. And that's all, That's what's going to happen. And and I was talking to a, a new client who called me this week, and we were just chatting about the market and what he should expect. And he said, look, you know, I understand the rent's 25 bucks a foot, but they should just be happy to have anyone in there. You know, I can, I'll, I'll pay 15 And the unfortunate reality I had to share with him was like, look, they can't do that. It's not their choice. Yeah, it's not up to them. It's up to the lender, and the lender's going to say no. And at the end of the day, the owner's just going to keep collecting the rent on the building that he can. He'll stop paying the mortgage, and he'll give the keys back. And you have to wait until that bank takes it back yep. and sells it and gives it to yep. somebody else at yep. a different basis yep. that maybe they can do a $15 deal. Yep. And and folks are starting that they need to realize that, and it's a little bit more of a complicated thought process than they should be happy to get anything, which, again, if they own 100% of the you know the equity in the building, great, then they could, but... You know, it's my belief, just from my experience dealing with actual commercial bankers, right, that most aren't creative, right? So when I had a call with the bank early on in April, you know, the guy was pretty much pulling his hair out. He runs a small little bank in New Jersey, has a decent balance sheet, has you know high net worth individuals and everything. But I'm like, well, what are you going to do if this happens? And he couldn't answer questions. And I'm yeah. asking like very simple questions of, okay, like let's say you have this deal, for example, it's $1.5 million that they're not paying on. You know, what are you going to do? He's like, oh, we, you know, we don't know. We haven't gotten there yet. I'm like, wait, what do you mean you haven't gotten there yet? Like, if I have exposure on every loan that we have out, and we have obviously a ton of loans out, private money, mm-hmm. every loan I know what I'm going to do with. Like, yeah. okay, if this happens, here's our, you know, recourse. If this happens, here's what we do. You know, you have to go through that. Yeah. And I feel like banks kind of just got so greedy of just refinancing, 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 balance sheets, balance sheets, balance sheets. That they never said, well, what if, you know, Dan has a vacancy? Now, remember, rates are next to zero, right? Yeah. So if a bank's lending, a community bank's lending capital that they're bringing in based on deposits, they're only paying you 0% for having your money with them. Exactly. So why would they not, what would not behoove them to go and say, hey, look, here, we're going to give you a 2% trial rate for two years. We understand. Pay the 2%. You're still making a spread on the money. Yeah. But banks are like, no, we're we're not going under 3.5%. And I'm like, wait, so you would rather somebody default which you have no idea what you're going to do with when the, when when they default, you don't know what you're going to do with the asset. You don't want to take the asset back because right now banks they don't want the assets. Believe it exactly. or not, exactly. They're not they're not landlords. Yeah, they want to collect their monthly residual income, right? So why not just work with the people? And they're not they're not to that point yet. But what I see happening is because again they've been blanketed over and again avoided reality. They're going to go from hey, uh, like you do, you're pulling up your high risk, you know 
properties that you could see. Like, hey, what's the debt on it? This could be a potential risky asset. Mm-hmm. They're not doing that yet. They're still to this day not doing that yet. Yeah. They're saying, okay, we gave everyone forbearances. Oh, they're catching up. It's not as bad as we thought. But when all that stuff wears out, they're not going to have you know, 50 problems that they handle this year. They're going to have 50 problems in one day. Yeah. You know, and, and that's where I see the biggest issue coming. And then it's like, okay, well, we don't want the asset, right? Yeah. We don't want to foreclose. We can't foreclose. What do we do? Exactly. Now the main sponsor that they lent the money to has a $50 million state deposit account with them. Now they're going to foreclose on a $2 million loan with non-recourse. Now if they do that, then the guy pulls the $50 million. That is lost on both ends. Yeah, and, and at the end of the day, nobody's happy. The landlords don't want to lose these buildings, no one's happy. right? Everyone should try to work together. And I think the smart lenders and the smart owners are doing that. And they're... Like at the end of the day, I think in a lot of these instances, there's just there's no relationship or communication between Zero. the lender and the owner. Zero. Right. And the smart owners are dealing with the same lender yep. over and over again. Yep. So that years. Once, yeah. So when something happens, they can call them and say, yep. "Hey, Steve, I got this issue. You know, Work we're in the middle me. of COVID. What can we do?" The owners that don't have those relationships, that maybe yep. new entrants to the market, or that necessarily don't have good relationships in general sure. with lenders, sure. that they don't like them for whatever sure. reason. Lenders aren't working with them, and they're going to be the ones that lose the buildings first. And it, you're exactly right; it's you know the, the PPP and these loans and the forbearance. It just kicks the can down the road, and it's going to come to a bottleneck at some point. Has to, and it's going to be really interesting to see when the special servicers get involved and everyone gets involved to really unfurl this and what happens to the real estate market. Yeah, you know, again, I think overall real estate's 100% safe, right? Because there's so much money out there. There's so you know, we're in an entrepreneurial world, right? Like back many years ago, it was like you work for a corporation, you might have a side hustle. Today, it's like no, no, you have your side hustle, that's your main hustle, mm-hmm. right? There's no like corporate fallback anymore. Yeah. So you know, again, what I see happening is overall is there has to be debt restructured, right? So like a creative option I came up with, and I've told bankers this, and again, like look at the end of the day. They just don't speak the same language that I speak to them, and it's like very frustrating. I'm like, well, you're an entrepreneur too, so you get you get both right. sides. And of it. bankers aren't entrepreneurs. Yeah, they get the one side. They sit at their desk. They check their they, boxes exactly. Right. So what I said was, okay, let's just put this into perspective. You're owed a million dollars, right? You're not cash flowing at a 25 year amortization. You're not cash flowing at a 30 year amortization, right? At 3.75 percent. Let's do this. I'll get you a four and a half percent rate, so you're making one percent more extend the term to 40 years. Mm-hmm. You're making more money. Yes, you're you know giving the client more time, but you're making interest. Exactly. Wait, I'm getting you a point more in interest now because it's cash flows. And like, no, I don't think they're going to go for that. I'm like, who? Uh, Dino the dinosaur <laughs> sitting behind the desk? Like, okay, so then Dino's going to lose a, a million bucks. Yeah. Realistically, yep. you're going to have legal fees, headaches, you know, evictions, you're going to have bad reputation. Like, I don't understand. Like, this is a creative solution here. I'm getting you more money than what you're currently making. Yeah. All you have to do is extend the term. You can still give a five-year arm, a 10-year, whatever you want to do. Give a five-year loan, but just amortize it over an extended period to give people that breathing room. Yeah, let them keep Banks it. Banks don't want to give that breathing room. Yeah. And it's tough. It's tough out there for everybody. Like you said, it, it nobody wins at the end of this day, and, and it's, it's unfortunate. No one wins. You know, and again, like you're starting to see people really, like now, like people obviously starting to refinance, and the people that were able to bridge that gap, that had money to fall back on, now they're coming like, look, you know, Jeff, this property's been sitting there vacant for, again, nine months. You know, I don't yeah. know what to do with it. Should I sell? Should I, I'm like, look, you know, well, did you, first question I ask is, did you do a forbearance? Yep. Yes. Okay. So you got three months. Now my question is, are those three payments due in one lump sum? Is it put on the back end? Like, what is your arrangement? So based on most new guidelines, even if you did a forbearance, you had to have made two or three, depending on the new bank, consecutive payments mm-hmm. on the current loan. 
Now, you could defer the three months into the back end if that's what the agreement was. You need that in writing. Most banks didn't give it in writing. They just did it. Mm-hmm. So now you have people trying to refinance, but they don't have the new stipulations that are required to refinance. Exactly. And they're like, well, what do we do here now? I'm like, got to get, get this. Like, oh, my banker said they don't give it. I'm like, get a letter. Yeah. You know, but like, these are conversations. Like, this is why people are hiring me right now to help them navigate through this because the bank doesn't want to help the borrower and the borrower hates the bank nine out of 10 times, right? Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, look, I see it from both sides. But in my opinion, the banks are not being reasonable enough to help the people that have been paying for their mortgage. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it, it takes a little bit from everybody to be flexible so that we can all come out of this on the other side. So where do you see an opportunity right now? Like, let's say you had to pick one asset class or one area in New Jersey or uh, whatever you see, like where would you be putting your money into right now? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I, I think, you know, real estate's just, it's such a localized thing, right? So I can't say- Which oh, no one realizes. Yeah, I mean, and, it, and it's, it's localized to having, a, you know, three blocks away is a totally different world. It might as well be, right? So, you know, it's interesting. Pre-COVID, we were really seeing the downtowns were having rents rising and things were going great. Urban booms. Yeah, exactly. And now people are a little worried about that, right? Everyone's scared in Manhattan that no one's going to come back to the city, which people are going to come back. And, you know, it is what it is. So I'd be looking for the opportunities in the downtowns that people don't want to touch right now. I'd be really interested in that. I think suburban office in New Jersey is is a good play for the opportunistic investor. Right now, it's just so tough to forecast rents that it's tough to go buy something and it's tough for someone to sell something, right? Uh, Within New Jersey, I really like the life sciences and lab space. You know, it's a really interesting niche that we've been pretty busy in on a cat on a sale side. COVID testing, you know, no, just even just the the inventory in New Jersey. There's there's very little lab space that let's say you're a a a scientist and you want to go start your your biotech. There's very few options for you to go in and move into a lab. China. Yeah. I mean, you have to outsource a lot of that stuff. And and the reality is in, in bigger markets like a Boston and Cambridge, you know, there are lab facilities that you, it's sort of like co-working, right? And there are a few facilities in New Jersey. The EDA runs a really great one in North Brunswick. And there are a few clusters. But right now, there's just such a, a lack of life sciences and lab space that I think that's a really interesting market for folks to deploy sure. their capital sure. in. Again, there's there's a high barrier to entry there, right? I mean, we just sold a facility for $35 million. We sold one for $150 million. These lab facilities are expensive and they're big players that are buying them. But when you look at what's what's safe, I mean, it, it all depends what your risk profile is, right? If you, if you just want to clip a coupon, go buy an industrial building. The market has been insane in New Jersey and it all the fundamentals show that it will continue to be a bit nuts for the foreseeable future. If you want to be a little more risky and opportunistic, maybe an office building makes sense. And it's just making sure you pick the right one, you make the right bet with the right in-place tenants or the right vacancy. I mean, I, I was talking to a client one time and he said, you make money when you buy the building. You don't make the money when you sell right. the building. You make right. it when you buy the building. Yep. If you buy it wrong, you're never going to yep. make money on Ever. it. So that's the thing to keep in mind right now. And there are a few suburban office buyers right now that have been super active. And they may be looking back at this in, in 12 months and saying, we were geniuses. Or they may be looking at it and saying, that was Too early. Exactly. So at the end of the day, that's their risk profile and they're willing to do what they're willing to do. So, What opportunities right now do you personally have? Listings, do you have vacant office space? Do you have tenants looking for space? Tell everyone you know, pretty much what you have, what you're working with right now. And then you never know if somebody hears this and says, oh, you know, I'm looking to relocate to Rutherford or I'm looking to you know, sign up with a real estate broker to help me expand my business. What are your opportunities yeah, right no, now? Yeah, no, I'm happy to share. So our, our team is on about 5 million square feet of landlord rep work. So on different buildings, I think we're on 24 buildings was our last count. So we have spaces all across central and northern New Jersey. Uh, on the tenant rep side, 
I've got a bunch of different requirements that it's interesting. I think tenants are more open to different geographies than they ever were, mm -hmm. which is really interesting. We have a cool mapping software that helps map people's commutes to the office. And it's interesting when you look at where folks live in their commutation analysis, it may take them on average the same amount of time to go to Bridgewater, New Jersey as Union, New Jersey, which are wildly different markets. So it's, it's been interesting to see that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm working with pretty big groups that need 10, 20, and 30,000 square foot office facilities. Uh, I'm working with a physical therapy group that I handle all of their business. We've got 84 locations now in New York and New Jersey. Um, that's that's growing all over the place. We're looking in a bunch of different markets, Hillsboro, South Orange, West Long Branch. Um, we're looking at every county in central northern New Jersey, essentially. So um, I'm sort of touching every market. And that's one of the things I really love about our team is that, you know, we don't focus on a six mile radius of our office building. I mean, we're doing stuff all over. I have projects going on across the country. I'm helping an insurance company with a couple requirements they have in Novi, Michigan, which is right outside of Detroit. We've got a facility down in Dallas and we're doing something in the city. So it's sort of all over the map for us, which is one of the things I love about what we do is that we're doing so many different things and it's, it's fun. Right now, the million dollar question. Oh boy. Somebody has a business. They don't have office space right now, right? Mm -hmm. They're thinking, hey, you know what? I'm tired of working out of my garage. I'm thinking about leasing or buying space. What do you tell them? Walk me through your, like, pretend it's me. Yeah. Walk me through the questions you ask, and then how do you come to the, hey, this makes sense to stay where you're at, this makes sense to lease, or this makes sense to buy? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. I feel and, like a lot of people are in that position right yeah, now. Yeah, and a lot of people are, and it's... I was mother's working. basement can only be so, you know... <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think this is a question folks have been grappling with since this all started, was mm -hmm. do we need an office? And you hear all, the, you know, see all these, these headlines from journalists of the office is dead, no one's going back, and I don't think that's true, and... The reality is... There'd be more divorces and murders <laughs> yeah, if the exactly. office doesn't come back. <laughs> I, you're totally right. So I think the reality is folks aren't really going to know how productive they've been over the past nine months until the next quarter, next quarter. or two, yeah. right? Maybe a year. You know, it can. I think for a lot of the feedback I've gotten from a lot of the executives is that their employees liked working from home for the first couple months, and then it was wearing on them. Yeah. And it's, it goes back to what you say about structure, right? I think people like going to the office. They yeah. like their routine. As much as you hate sitting in traffic at 8.15 in the morning, like... You like when you get there and right. you like to see the people. So You hate your boss, you love the free coffee. Yeah, exactly. So at the end of the day, it, it's, it's really specific to the business, right? If you're saying, I need my employees to be collaborative and to be in the same environment that they can easily communicate, then you probably need the office space and you probably need it sooner rather than later because the reality is real estate's a pretty big expense item for these companies, but the biggest expense item is talent and you need to get production out of your talent, right? The talent is where you get your ROI, not just on the real estate side of things. So as much as you'd like to look at it and say, well, if we can cut our footprint by 50%, have half the people work from home, that's great. But if those half of the people aren't producing for you, that way, yeah, your, your business just isn't going to succeed. So at the end of the day, every company needs to look at this for themselves and say, do I need to be in the office? What, and then what sort of environment do my folks need to feel comfortable? You know, we, we've seen a big uh, trend towards open space, right? There was a big challenge with that with COVID it is, oh, this is going to spread the virus. Sure. So it, it's really how do you manage that? And look, at the end of the day, how much work are you going to do to your space today for the next, let's let's say COVID goes on for another two years that people, this is a meaningful concern. I mean, who knows? It could be six months, it could be 10 years. You know, we, we don't know, but it's, it's getting comfortable making decisions today for the very near future. So one thing that I'm constantly talking to architects, right? and understanding how do they lay out tenant spaces? What are folks looking for? Yeah, private offices, plexiglass, what do you do? Exactly, so I think 
what COVID's done, it, it did it to, I mentioned this to the retail industry, it moved it up 10 years. I think it really moved up how folks are working by five or 10 years. And what I mean by that is there was already a trend to, hey, you know, have Friday, you work from home every other week, whatever it is, or in the summer, you know, give employees flexibility and people love that. It's a bit of a novelty at the time and sure. it's, it's awesome. So I, I think, and I see the trend being companies are gonna keep their offices, they're gonna reconfigure them to better suit the way that they work and employees will be in three days a week instead of five. And you'll maybe you work from home Wednesday, Friday, Monday, Friday, whatever it is. And it's something that I think executives were doing before because they don't necessarily have people managing them, right? And they can have the freedom that now that freedom is going to get passed on to the regular employees and, and the lower levels that have that flexibility. So one thing that architects have been sharing is they've been planning for more meeting rooms inside of their facilities than they have ever before because the model kind of being they called it a, a clubhouse rather than just an office like the app that I just joined yeah clubhouse. exactly yeah exactly so it's hey we're gonna have you know work from home two or three days a week we're gonna have different people come into the office on different days for different divisions that need to work together and you're gonna spend time you know you can touch down at a desk you're not gonna have your dedicated desk they call that hoteling is the phrase that the architects use for that so you come in you pop down at a desk and you go to your meetings for the day so you do your heads down work at home where you can focus and you go into the office for meetings for the collaboration that you really need to run the business. So again, every company is different, right? I mean, there are engineers and programmers who are being wildly more productive at home. Sure. But then there are some groups like in sales or in operations that need to be in the office with each other or yeah, logistics groups. You got to pass the document, whatever. That's yeah, exactly. And, and it's, you know, there's only so much productivity you can really have working off a of Google Doc on Zoom that I think the creativity and that stuff really needs to be done in the office. And, and at least that's the feedback I'm getting. At the end of the day, every company is different and, and they need their own tailored footprint for that. Have you seen a lot of people just say, you know what, I just want to sell. Just get me whatever I can at this point. Have people thrown in the towel yet to that extent or not yet? Yeah, there are. so one thing we've been tracking pretty heavily is subleases coming online, right? So you go and you sign a lease for 10 years. Sure. You've never been in the office in nine months. If you don't feel you need the office, then what do you do, right? You try to sublease it, let another company come in and, and at least get some of your rent back, hopefully all of it. I was talking to a broker in, in our New York office the other day, and he sort of laughed and said, look, the entire island of Manhattan's on the sublease market. You know, there's certain spaces that are, but at sure. the end of the day, you go sure. to any company and say, hey, get, I'll let you out of your lease. Because in New Jersey, I think the metric's probably 30% occupancy of folks actually back in the office. Wow. Which is probably higher than I would have thought sure, it'd be. Sure, sure, sure. And, and a lot of that's because these smaller entrepreneurial companies, those are where the employees are really coming back. The larger firms are, are not pushing employees to come back yet. So... You've seen some companies that are, want to sublease space and they'll say, just get me out of this. So a perfect example, there's a group in Jersey City that the market in Jersey City for rent, let's say it's $38 a square foot. I think they ended up subleasing their space at 24 okay. just to get it rid of it sure. and, and to get it off because they, in their mind, they're never going back there. And then there are other companies that are happy to let the space sit, quote unquote, vacant, that they're not in it doing anything, but they know they're going to be back. And at the end of the day, it's important for them to keep that space. So it, it's a little different for everybody. Have you seen, seen any like positive arbitrage where like somebody has a lease for whatever ten thousand dollars a month and the space is fifteen thousand now? Like older leases, long longer term leases, or not really like that yet? Not in the office space. Certainly in the industrial world, I worked on a restructure of a lease. This is now two and a half years ago, where my client was paying four fifty a foot. They had three years left on their on their lease, and they're like, "Hey, you know, let's look at relocating. Maybe we build a building." Well, the market rent for that building is now 850 a foot double almost so we ended up cutting a deal at i think it was 795 at the time wow. which now today is sure. still we're looking back at that deal from two years ago like, this away. is a home run yeah, yeah this is yeah. amazing you yeah. know and I'm, I'm representing the tenant there and 
my guys are super happy. So it's in the office market, you know, it's sort of funny in suburban New Jersey, the rents have been the same for the past 20 years, because sure. at the end of the day, there's no supply constraint, you right. just go build a new building, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you keep the rents yeah. the same, and the tenants move to the nicer building, right? The downtowns are where you've really seen the rent growth. And yeah, supply and demand. Exactly. You know, you want to be near the train station. Well, there are three buildings near the train, and everyone can fight right. over it. That's it. And that's where you'll really see the activity come back. That's where it stalled. That's where it had the most to fall, and that's where it has fallen a little bit in this sort of window of time. Mm -hmm. But again, I think I've been talking to my clients the past three months and saying, yeah, it's pretty quiet, but I think we're going to get some pent-up demand and hopefully in January, but really probably in April or May when starts to warm up and people are out more and, and companies want to do stuff. I mean, the past three days have been so busy for me. I've got five tours over the next, for the rest of the week, which is as a benchmark, if I had two tours any week over the past three months, I'm very happy. So it, it's been interesting. I do think there is a little bit of pent up demand in the market. Um, and I'm hopeful that those turn into you know, real transactions that people do. Interesting. So obviously, I appreciate all the insight, wisdom, and everything. You know, keep up that good hair. Look, as you get older, it's going to start falling out. I did. Out, I'm so. scared. You're making me insecure <laughs> about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but again, if anybody has any you know, commercial real estate questions, if you want to relocate your office, if you want to even have your lease reviewed of what your options are, um, if you're interested in you know getting into real estate, investing in the commercial retail office space, you know, obviously reach out to Dan at any time. Again, it's at turn Dan for what with the underscores <laughs> in between each word. Uh, appreciate you having back on the show, kicking off, you know, deposit that season two. And everyone can you know, watch us on YouTube uh, in two weeks. It'll also be on iTunes in two weeks. Appreciate you coming on and I look forward to a uh, successful 2021. Yeah, thanks so much, man. You too. Appreciate it. Take care. How do you feel that went?